0: As I said, I want you to close your eyes. Just close your eyes. There's this tension. There's this tension that I feel in like my spirit this morning. Because there's this like thing that I want to share with you. That I'm like really excited to share. But as Cami talked, I got... I know the feeling in this room. I know the weight in this room right now. The number of students in the past few weeks that have broken down emotionally in my office. Like, I know it. I get it. And so there's this tension between, well, I'm going to stand up here and give this Jesus talk. I'm going to like share this thing. But I know that for a majority of the people in the room, like you're completely spent. You're burnt you're toasted, whatever you want to say, like you've got no juice left in your tank. Like, I get that. And so I I just wanted to start this morning and say, I, I see you. Like, I get that. So Here's what I want to do together this morning. I want to open the Scriptures. And I want to ask what what can we learn from God's word this morning for where we're at right now in the midst of all that we feel? And if you don't hear anything this morning because you just can't like you don't you know, there's nothing left to lose, I, I get that. But here's, here's, my, here's my promise: For the next 20 minutes. I'm going to give you everything I have. I'm going to give you everything I've got for the next 20 minutes. And if you for the next 20 minutes can dial in with me, I believe that God wants to do something this morning. So God, I pray for an outpouring of your Spirit over this place this morning. I pray that as we open the Scriptures, as we break the bread of life, as we ask what Jesus wants to do with us and our stories here this morning, God, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Kylie, I make no promises about those notes. So... Let me just tell you that running slides, like the person that does that, that's like the hardest job in the world, and they have to try to follow me, and every week I give them like notes, and sometimes I follow them, and sometimes I don't, and so what happens is it makes me look like I know what I'm doing, and it makes the person back there look like they don't know what they're doing, and that's not what's happening. What's happening is that I don't know what I'm doing, and She's the only one that you notice. So, Kylie does an amazing job, and usually it's my fault if things are wrong. Um, all that to say, I thought <clears throat> that this morning, this should be fun, uh, because I have a dumb, messed up version of what fun is. I thought that like every chapel I've been like walking you through, hey, here's what we've talked about thus far, and I'm interested to see if any of it has... So I thought that it would be fun to quiz you a bit this morning and see if you remember what we've talked about during this saga live the bigger story thing. Uh, that we talked about God's story, and I've broken down God's story into like seven chapters. And if it helps all of these chapters start with a C. So like that that was intentional so that maybe you'd remember it. Does anyone remember, I am in the script somewhere, Kylie. I promise I'm in there, just keep looking. Does anyone remember what the very first chapter in God's saga was called? Creation. Thank you, Jordan. Okay, you can't answer anymore because my fear is it's just going to be me and you having a conversation for the rest of these. All right, creation. Yes, we started at the beginning and we talked about how God created in the beginning. God created all that we see. They created human beings, and and He put us in the middle of this creation to enjoy it and to care for it. Creation. And then we moved on to chapter 2, which was what? Crisis. Well done, yes. Crisis. Things, um, they go south a bit, quickly. And the human beings that God creates, they become dissatisfied with all that they've been given they choose to disobey God, and when they do this, sin enters the world, and it's like a bomb that goes off, and it affects everything. It affects all of creation, it affects you and me, and everything around us sin. And then, out of crisis, we moved into our next chapter, which was anybody remember? Calling. It's like that area has got it. Calling. From from crisis, we move to calling because God sets forth this plan to fix it, to put it all back together, to restore it. And he starts with this guy named Abraham, and he calls him, and he says, I'm going to use you to start this movement of people whose job it will be to show the world what I'm like. And then from calling, we move to the next chapter, and this is the chapter where I made you like, the up, middle, down, middle, up, middle thing. Do you, do you remember the name of that chapter? Conversation. There's an area of the room that's paying attention and three other areas that suck. Um, that is, that is my, what I'm picking up. Conversation. And this conversation takes us the rest of the way through the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. And from conversation, we move to the next chapter, the chapter where God enters his creation. God puts on flesh and blood. God, God comes among us as the person of Jesus. And Kylie told you what it is already. This chapter is called what? It's on the screens, yo. The Christ chapter culminates, the Christ chapter ends with Jesus defeating sin and defeating death. That he suffers and he dies on a cross and then he's raised from the dead three days later. The Christ chapter culminates with resurrection. And then the last time we met, I talked about the next chapter after Christ, this, this chapter that reminds us that we're better together. Does anybody remember what the next chapter was called? Community, nice job. We looked at the first Jesus followers, the first church and what it looks like to combat loneliness with community. So, so far we've covered six chapters, creation, crisis, calling, conversation, Christ, community. And so this morning, we're going to look at the final chapter in God's saga, commencement. Now, as a college student, the word commencement, I think, is a word that you're familiar with. In fact, if you're a senior, like this word... Like, commencement, like, it's getting so close you can feel it. Like, especially, is anybody done it semester? Like, you're, like, in the home. Somebody was like, no, that's not me. Dang it. Uh, Yeah, so some of you, like, you're so close to being done. One of the best, one of the best feelings in the world is walking across that stage at graduation. In getting that diploma, that ceremony, commencement. And most of the time, when you hear the word commencement, you think about when you think about this word, you think about like the end of something. You think about graduation, commencement. But really, the word commencement is actually about the beginning of something else. The root of the word commencement is the word commence. Commence means to begin something, to start something, not to end something. So this last chapter of God's saga is about the end of the way things are now and about the beginning of the most amazing life after the way things are now. My wife, Suzanne, and I were married in 2005. Uh, I had just graduated from here in May of 2005, and then I started working at this church as their youth pastor in June of 2005. And we got married in August of 2005. I highly recommend doing all of your big life transitions all at once. Super wise idea. But I had this brilliant idea as a new husband. We had just, just got married in August, and I had this brilliant idea that for our first Christmas together... As a married couple, I was going to gift my wife a puppy. Now, now Suzanne, my wife had always said that even like in premarital counseling, like you talk about this stuff, but she'd always said that she was an outside dog person. Like she didn't believe that dogs should be inside the house, which is cruel, because she grew up on a farm and dogs were outside animals. So, on Christmas morning, I carried in this golden retriever puppy with a red bow on it. And I said, okay, looks like this little guy's going to sleep outside in the dark. Needless to say, my wife instantly became an inside dog person because I'm clever. So this dog... This dog, which we named Linus, was our first child. This is our fur baby. Like before we had any of these tiny humans that we now have to care for, we had Linus. And Linus was a great dog. Like I, re- I remember we would, we would take him on walks to Wall Park. And we would go to Wall Park to that big open area, and I would stand on one side of the open area, and Suzanne would walk all the way over to the other side of this open field, and she would kneel down, and I would let Linus off his leash, which I know you're not supposed to do, Sue me, and Linus would joyfully, with tongue hanging out of his mouth, race full speed across this open field over to Suzanne. He loved To do this, and then we'd pet him, and good boy, good boy, dogs are like, dogs like want your affection, and cats could care a lot. You couldn't do that with a cat. Like, they'd be like, screw you, I'm laying down, like in the middle. Like, that's what would happen. But he would like get so excited, and then I'd call him, and he'd run back, and he loved this. Now, as we look at these chapters of God's saga, as we wrestle with how commencement is not only the end of one thing, but also the beginning of something else. I want you to think about my wife and I with our dog, Linus. I want you to imagine, for the sake of this illustration, that we are Linus. We're the dog. You're welcome. And God, (laughs) I am good at Photoshop. Expert level Photoshopping. So imagine that we are the dog, and God is both myself and Suzanne. So God started everything with creation, and he calls to us from the future. That's going to make your brain explode if you think about it too long. So let me try to unpack it a little bit more. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of John, chapter 20. Bless you. John, chapter 20. I just saw this thing online today that was like, other things to say instead of bless you when somebody sneezes, they were really great. They were like, stop it. <laughs> uh, one was wow. It was, it was really good. Like I'm gonna start using those instead of bless you. So when you sneeze, I'm gonna be like, shh, stop it. I think it was like non-religious ways when somebody sneezes, that's what you're supposed to That's funny. Again, John chapter 20. John 20. John 20 is like one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of John's gospel because there's some absolutely, if you have a chance to read it, there is some, like guys, seriously, this book's got some funny parts in it. There is some brilliant comedy in John 20 about which disciple is the faster runner. Like it's funny because John's the one that wrote the gospel and so there's this whole riff about John essentially saying, in case you didn't know, I'm faster than Peter. Like, it's funny. But John chapter 20 starts like this. John 20 verse 1 says, Early, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So Jesus has been crucified. He's been tortured and murdered on a cross and then taken and put in this Tomb, and we pick up the story. And this woman Mary, we goes to this tomb, and we're told that she goes early on the first day of the week. Now, what's amazing is that there is so much more going on here, you guys. This book is brilliant. Like Jesus is amazing. You should consider following him. This book is amazing, and what's, if this stuff isn't interesting to you? I'm really sorry, but I totally geek out over this because the book of John. In the book of John, Jesus is performing these amazing miracles. Like he's setting things right. He's like doing that thing that he does. Jesus does these things. And when you look closer at John's gospel, you see that John, the guy that wrote it, is actually numbering the miracles. So a miracle will take place and John will be like, the first miracle. Another miracle will take place and you'll say, the second miracle. So you have in order, in order, and John Two, you have Jesus changing water to wine. Jesus starts his ministry by keeping the party going. I just want to acknowledge that. So in John 4, the second miracle, he he heals somebody's son. In John 5, he heals a paralyzed man. In John 6, you have the feeding of the 5,000. And then you have him walking on water. In John 9, he heals a man born blind. And in John 11, he raises a guy from the dead. These miracles, one, through seven. One through seven, just like, John's doing something here, one through seven, just like the days of creation in the first chapter of our story. Again, one through seven, the seven days of creation. So we get to the seventh miracle, and then after that in John 20, we read early on the first day of the week. This is John's subtle way of saying something new is happening. We're in a new week. There's a new creation. There's the end of this one thing and the start of this brand new thing. And then just a few verses later, Mary sees Jesus in the garden and she confuses him for the gardener. John is being intentional here. And he's saying, gardener, get it? Jesus, Creation, garden, Adam, Eve, Jesus, reclaiming the garden, Jesus, new creation. Again, commencement. It's the end of one thing, and it's the beginning of a new thing. It's the end of the way things were, starting with the resurrection of Jesus, new creation has started. One of the first Christians, a guy named Paul, in his letters, he calls this the restoration of all things. Another one of the first Christians, Peter, calls it the renewal of all things. It's starting with the resurrection of Jesus. God is repairing and restoring creation, fixing what happened in the crisis chapter, and setting it all back together. Flip over a few books to the right, to the book, Revelation. If you hit a book called Glossary or Maps, you've gone too far. Revelation is the last book in the Bible, and this restoration, this fixing, it comes to its completion in Revelation chapter 21. And in Revelation 21, we read this. This is a different John writing about this vision that he sees. And he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or exhaustion or anxiety or sleepless nights. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated at the throne said, I am making everything new. I'm making everything new. Now a lot of times, When you talk about like the end times and what happens, especially like in church crowds, when you talk about like what happens, like what happens when you like die, like what's the point of all of this? You hear a lot of talk about heaven and hell and Jesus returning and all these kinds of things. And what you see when you look at the Bible is that following Jesus, accepting Christ, being a Christian, it's not about dying to escape this world and go someplace else. You don't leave this world and go to heaven. The picture that the Scripture paints is of Jesus of heaven coming here. God's dwelling will be here with us. Notice that it doesn't say that we're going to go dwell with God. It says God will come here and dwell with us. That's why this life matters and what you do matters because everything good and true and pure and noble will stick around and be part of new creation. God will dwell here with us. The final chapter of this saga is this new creation that will be complete here in this world. We're told that this world will be made new. That all things will be made new. Notice that it doesn't say this world will be destroyed. It doesn't say God will make all new things. It says God will make all things new. God will restore. There's a restoration to this planet, this creation. Commencement is the end of one thing. And it's the beginning of something else commencement's like that joke the joke what do you get when you play a country song backwards you get your truck back and your dog back your wife comes back you're no longer poor what do you it's it's like the song being played backwards everything is being restored what the bible shows us is that beginning with resurrection In the end of Revelation 21, at some point in the future, everything is going to be put back together. And our invitation is to follow Jesus, to let Him control our lives, to trust Him as our Savior, to follow Him as our Lord, and to partner with Him in setting everything right. We get to partner with God in bringing new creation here. We're invited to be part of God's saga. To live as part of a bigger unfolding story. The beauty of God's saga, this bigger story, is that it connects all of us. That we're the dog running from one side to the other and our stories, our stories connect. Our stories connect. The story, the story of a kid who was born and raised in central Illinois knowing nothing, knowing nothing about Jesus, church, God, Bible, any of it. This kid who at the age of 18 was kicked out of his first college because apparently you can't sleep through all of your classes and have any kind of acceptable GPA. Who knew? The story of this kid who was on a full-ride music ed scholarship at a state school and got kicked out. So he moved to Florida and he decided to work at Disney World, which is what you do. And at Disney World, he picked up some uh, habits. Brian Worth would call them traps. I just call it sin. The story of this kid who lives in Florida, discovering all sorts of new ways to numb pain and emptiness. This kid moves back to Illinois. And at the age of 20, in the back room of a hotel, says yes to Jesus for the first time. The story of a a 21-year-old kid restarting his college career and coming to Central Christian College as a freshman in 2001, the so fall of 2001, a few months before 9/11, and this kid finding mentorship and community and accountability and a home here. The story of a kid who, the the summer after my junior year of college, where I was rightly, appropriately fired. From a church position in Oregon as their youth pastor. In the middle of summer, driving from Oregon back to McPherson with my tail between my legs, depressed and questioning life and ministry and whether in my failure I had anything to offer the world at all. It's a story of of healing and repentance that would take place during that next year. It's a story of taking a job right across the street from campus and serving as a youth pastor at this church. Continuing to invest in college students as interns. It's a story that includes college students that would, over the next 15 years, that would live with us from semester to semester. It's a story of one college student who lived with us after their engagement just exploded. And they were depressed and suicidal and so they came and lived with my family. And every night at dinner, my girls would pray for this college boy that lived in our basement. It's a story of somebody who has watched college students who are now serving in communities and churches and businesses across the world. And it's a story that in the midst of a season of transition, a season of questioning everything, a season of commencement where one thing was ending and another beginning, I I came back to Central to serve as campus pastor. This is my story. This is God's bigger story. And the beautiful thing about my story is that it connects and it intersects with each of your stories now. All of you have a story to tell. In in church language, we call this a testimony. A story of what God is doing or a story of what God has done in your life. And this morning I want to close with this. And I need you to hear me. Because I get really, really frustrated when sometimes people, when we talk about our stories, our testimonies i get really frustrated when i hear people say well there's not much to tell my story's pretty boring My testimony's boring i was born was raised went to church now i'm at central this drives me nuts because i can picture i can picture god saying god hearing you say that God hearing you say, oh, my testimony, is my story is kind of boring. You don't want to hear it. And I can picture God saying, let me get this straight. I can picture God saying, let me get this straight. I set up this beautiful project. I gave you this beautiful creation. And I put you in the midst of all of these relationships. And I stepped back and I said, it is good. And I even let you run around naked for a little bit. And you said, it is good. And then things kind of went south. And so I sent this movement of people starting with this guy named Abraham. And I said, Abraham, come on. And Abraham said, where? And I said, just come with me. And so he did. So this movement arose, this this underground thing, these people reclaiming God's original dream for the world. And then God, like, he said, I came among you in this really profound, unique way in the person of Jesus who kept saying, I and the Father are one. And then Jesus conquers death so the whole world is gradually being put back together it's being reconciled all things in heaven and on earth the dream is still alive and so i'm inviting all of these people into my dream for a new heaven and a new earth and you think your testimony is boring what your story is if you think your story is boring steal someone else's because they're all connected If your story's born, you're like, let me tell you about this guy over here and what God did in his life. Because all our stories are connected. Your story is part of God's larger saga. It's the biggest story ever. And all of us are invited to live in this story. So I invite you to stand this morning. And I want you to hear this benediction and then I'll pray. This benediction is God's story for you. I've said it every time I've spoken to you this semester and I want you to hear it again and again and again until you as a campus live like you believe it's true. I will keep doing it until you live like you believe this is true. So hear these words. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. He loves you with a love that has no beginning and no end. It's a love that you don't have to earn and you can't ever lose. Whether you feel like a success or a failure, God loves you. Whether you feel alone or surrounded by people, God loves you. He loves you enough to send His Son to live for you, to die for you, to be raised for you. Even right now, Jesus is with the Father speaking words of love on your behalf and He will come again to renew the whole world and you because He loves you. This is the most true thing about you. This is the first fact of your existence, that you are loved by God. Before anything else can be said about you, this must be said, God loves you. And that will never change. So God, we pray that we would live these words. We pray that we would live into a bigger story than maybe the stories we're living. We pray that you would remind us that our stories have power, that our stories aren't boring because our stories are rooted in you. So I pray that you would go with us. I pray that you would remind us of that as we deal with exhaustion and stress and frustration God, as we're just barely holding it together at this point of the semester, I pray that you would remind us of your presence. That you would remind us that you walk with us. And that even in this time, we are part of a larger story. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.